Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10 is where we are this morning. I just, I cannot believe I am two messages away from ending Acts. I am not happy about that. I have just, I've been in Acts too long now to move away from it, but that's where we are. And where we are in Acts, uh, Paul, uh, we spent last week looking at chapter 27, Paul has shown through the entire uh, shipwreck saga that that his trust is no longer in Caesar. Uh, There will be no appeal to Caesar. Uh, An appeal to Caesar on the open sea would not have done him much good anyway. His faith, uh, his trust is completely in the God who called him and made the promises to him that he would be in Rome. He would minister in Rome. Now, of course, this is after three years of delay, Due to his disobedience, he's, he finds himself now on uh, the island of Malta on the shore at this point. They've just swum to the, uh, to the shore, even though we left them last week. It was a long swim. Um, took them a week to get there, apparently. He now begins on this island in Malta, of Malta, he now begins to see results and opportunities that he did not have in Jerusalem in the, and Caesarea in those three-ish years where he was living the disobedience of going there in the first place. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get through it. But he wrote, Paul wrote himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, I wrote, talking to the people in Corinth, the, the ones he wrote the letter to, I wrote for this purpose to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. The irony of that statement, I I, I wrote to test your character, to see if you are obedient in everything. You know when he wrote that? On the road to Jerusalem, where he wasn't supposed to be going in the first place. He he went through Corinth, he went to Greece to, to see them, Soon after writing this letter, he, he probably would have gotten to Corinth just a, a mere weeks after the letter arrived. But then God chose, in, verse, in chapters 19 through 27 of Acts, Paul writes to be obedient. God writes to test Paul's character and to get him obedient again. What we're going to see this morning is that obedience yields blessings that disobedience obstructs. Obedience yields blessings, the, the blessing of obedience. Turn in, uh, to Acts chapter 28, read along with me, verses 1 through 10 of this ongoing shipwreck saga. Luke writes, Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Uh, The local people showed showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in. Since it was raining and cold, remember, it's 276 people on this boat. So this was quite an effort in kindness. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, uh, they said to one another, This man, no doubt is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. 
They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. So we catch up now with Paul on this island shore. He, he's landed on Malta. The, the, the name Malta actually means restore. Uh, it's interesting that they would uh, land on a place that meant restore, restoring their fortunes, so to speak, and in Paul's case, restoring uh, his, his calling. And they get there, and, and we think it's, it's over. And, and Luke, uh, we think the, the hardships are over, and, and Luke, after having spent, for us, an entire chapter on the shipwreck, detailing this minute event and that minute activity, he condenses three months on Malta into ten verses and, and leaves some things out that we can be confident occurred, and, uh, but this is the way God wanted it. This is the message that we have. We see in uh, the activities, the, the things that occur, that happen to Paul, and Paul's response to the people, we see this obedience again uh, coming out of Paul. The first point this morning, there are only two, the first point we see this morning is that obedience is blessed with protection. There is protection as a result of our obedience. Read with me again, verses 1 through 6. This is where we see this. Once safely ashore, he says that we then learned that the island was called Malta, and the local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a whole bunch of fires. It just says lit a fire, but that would have been a big fire for 276 people. Um, lit a number of fires. The, this one that he's talking about uh, was for them. Since it was raining and cold, verse 3, as Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Uh, it would have been this time of year and this weather, it had been about 50 degrees. Um, snakes slow down, reptiles slow down in that kind of temperature. Uh, and it is not uncommon. As a matter of fact, uh, is it uh, T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, writing about his... Uh, activities in, in the desert had a very similar situation that he wrote about. They had bundled up uh, firewood, and when they put it on the fire, they uh, had bundled up a stiff snake in that bundle, got it on the fire in the heat, and this snake slithered through them. Didn't bite anybody in that case, but we have a contemporary example of this same thing happening here. And uh, so this, this viper comes out, it says, uh, because of the heat, verse, uh, the end of verse 3, and fastened itself on his hand. You, you, you get here and you think, can Paul just not get a break at this point? I mean, you, you, we want to say, I would want to say, I've been obedient, we, 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 we did the shipwreck thing, got it, I, was, I trusted you, Lord, and now 
a viper bite, a snake bite. Well, the local people, it says in verse 4, when they saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man's a murderer. It's, he, clearly, he did something wrong. The sea didn't get him, although he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook off the snake, or shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, I, I'm going to hope Luke here is just wanting brevity so he can get to the end of the story. But seriously, the image that he portrays is, you know, that ain't me. I'm sorry, I don't care what kind of faith I have that God's going to protect me from the snake bite. I'm screaming. I'm dancing, even as bad as I am. I am, I am tearing up that mud around trying to, oh my, but he... Shook it off. He and Taylor Swift. It's for all you people under 35. Uh, shook it off and suffered no harm. Now, the crowd, the people on the island, they, they've already said that the yep, snake bit him. He's, he's guilty. Uh, verse 6, they expected that he would begin to swell up or get a fever is, is what that means. Or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Look how quickly and how far they changed their mind. He is a guilty person running from a god. You might have uh, justice capitalized in your Bible because they are talking about the god of the god justice. See, justice caught him up, caught up with him. They go from thinking that to thinking he is a god himself. So that's a pretty big, pretty big swing in just a matter of a few minutes. But if a snake bit somebody I'd, and they didn't, and nothing happened to them, and they should have, then I'd have had that kind of swing myself. What we see here: the blessing of protection, or protection as a part of the blessing. We see the protection is for the mission, not from hardship. I'm trying to stall just a second to see if they can get the computer to catch up with me. Uh, I won't dance and show you what would happen if I got bit by a snake. That seems unnecessary. No. It'd be great. There we go. We're caught up. Protection for the mission, not from hardship. Remember, in, in 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 21, I must go to, uh, to Rome. Uh, in chapter 23, verse 11, you must go to Rome. And then in chapter 27, verse, uh, let's see, 24, it is necessary, you must appear before Caesar. Three different times since 19, uh, chapter 19, Paul has been told, you must, it is necessary, that divine necessity that we have talked about now for a number of weeks. But he just survived a shipwreck. God, what's going on? You, you, you promised protection. You said uh, that we would make it. Yeah, yeah, I said you'd make it. But what we see is protection for the mission, not from hardship. Paul has experienced beatings, stonings, jail, shipwrecks, mocking, criticism, 
failures, even disobedience. Let's, let's hear him say it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, remember, he wrote this on the way to Jerusalem. So he wrote this before this shipwreck, okay? Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. Well, make that four times now, Paul. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. Make that 15 days now, Paul, because remember they floated for 14 days. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? Paul's been through some stuff. Paul is living the promise that he was told way back in chapter 9. Actually, he wasn't told. Ananias was told. God told Ananias, I will show him all the ways he must suffer for the gospel. And then we get a list, and probably not uh, uh, exhaustive uh, for what he had been through. And then he gets to the shore. He gets past the shipwreck, shipwreck number four, 14 days and nights uh, on the open sea, and he gets met on this shore by these people with skepticism, doubt, and this snake bite. He, he wouldn't have been bitten, the, the locals say, if he weren't a murderer. Certainly he's guilty of whatever he's imprisoned for. They would have known he was a prisoner. So it's, 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 it's clear that this is a guy we shouldn't want to listen to. And with all of that, with all of the beatings and stonings, with his description in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, with, with the, 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 the shipwrecks and without food and the cold, with all of these hardships that go on, you, you almost hear, I almost hear, because I hear everything in a sarcastic voice, but you didn't die, did you? You're still alive, aren't you? Yeah. But, but what kind of life is it? It's what we want to ask, right? What kind of life is it that makes me experience 40 lashes minus one five times, three times beaten with rods, a stoning, shipwreck, day and night and 15 days and nights in the open sea, uh, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles. Dangers. What kind of life, Paul, would make you say, this is worth it? What in the world would lead you to say, you know what, I'm going to Rome no matter what? With all of this going on, why is, but you didn't die, any sort of comfort? Well, for a lot of people, it's not. Certainly not enough. 
and they decide it's too hard and they're not going to do it. The promise that we have, though, is that God will preserve us for our calling. That's the only promise we have. Actually, we do have another promise. We are promised we will be persecuted. He says that in 2 Timothy toward the end. Paul says that in 2 Timothy. Jesus said that on the Sermon on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. We know it's going to happen. We see it happen throughout the New Testament to his followers, to his disciples. So why should we be shocked that persecution comes? The only thing that should shock us is when it doesn't. That should be amazing to us. And it really should make us wonder... Am I doing this Christian thing right? Nobody seems to care. Well, maybe you're not. But the promise here, the, the blessing that we see from obedience, number one, is that God will preserve us for our calling. Now, if, if we are, uh, you, you can go back one, uh, one slide, please, uh, Pat, go back one. Uh, it, it, God will preserve us. If we're looking for an easy path, listen to me carefully. If we are looking for an easy path, we're part of the wrong faith. If you're looking for an easy life, Christianity ain't it. Michael, you're going to scare people who want to trust Jesus away. Okay. Christianity's not a bait and switch. I'm not trying to sell them a used car. I'm not putting on the, the, you know, painting it up on the outside, look, wash it really good, shampoo the carpet, but inside the engine's uh, rusty and, and junky and, and it's barely going to get out of the lot. That is not what we're selling. We're not selling anything. We are saying that coming to Christ is worth all the things you will suffer. Paul do I need to read what he went through again? And yet here he, he is. Remember, he wrote all those things three to three and a half years before this shipwreck. And here he is on this island, on the shore, determined that he's still going to go to Rome. He is still going to serve the Lord. He is still going to be obedient. So if we're looking for an easy path, Christianity ain't it. Y'all can amen that. It's okay. I, I know you agree with it. You're just like, can we agree with that out loud? Yes. We can. You, you need to. And y'all, this, this preserve, uh, preservation for our calling doesn't mean just in the big things. Uh, well, God will preserve us if we're called to be a minister. God will preserve us if we're called to be a missionary. God will preserve us if we're called to be some sort of church leader. God will preserve us as we go out and evangelize our community. God will preserve us as we take part in some sort of compassion ministry where I kind of have to put myself out there a little bit. Uh, God will preserve us if I'm willing to step up and teach and disciple other believers. It surely does mean that, but it doesn't just mean that. It also means that God will preserve us in the quote little things of the Christian life like 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I firmly believe that sometimes, sometimes it is more difficult for my faith to be preserved, my calling to be preserved, my, my willingness to remain true to what I'm supposed to do when I'm focused on the calling of loving someone I find unlovable rather than call, the calling to stand before a group of people and preach God's word. Now maybe, maybe y'all got the big and the little things figured out, but for me, I need God's sustaining grace just to love the person I don't find it easy to love. And that is a fruit of the Spirit. That's supposed to be something that flows naturally from my relationship with Jesus Christ. And hopefully it does. Yet, He will preserve me even when I attempt to love the person that I find unlovable and that person does not receive the love that I'm giving. God will still preserve me. And sometimes that stinks worse than the shipwreck does. And that's where we find ourselves. In pursuit of all of these, in pursuit of the big things, quote unquote, ministry, missionary, church leadership, that sort of thing, in pursuit of the, quote, little things, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., in all of those things, we will experience hardship. It is coming, it is guaranteed that you can count and bank on that. But in pursuit of all of these, also, we may find ourselves being disobedient none of y'all but me i find myself being disobedient not as kind when i should be kind not as good when i should be good not the minister that i should be uh, ministering as i should be ministering not leader like in the leadership as i should be leading i find myself struggling and being disobedient in those things and i need god to preserve that calling for me as well and what we find by God's grace and not by any effort of our own, is that disobedience isn't the end. It's a terrible setback. It's a horrible delay. And it often brings more unnecessary hardship. See Paul in Jerusalem. Jailings, beatings, and a shipwreck, all because he went east when he should have gone west. That is such a simple, simple decision. That's a nothing. I just, I just turned the wrong direction, God. And disobedience causes the problems. But God, here's the grace. Here's God working in verses 1 through 6. And we see it. We see that disobedience, while it's not the end, God can preserve and protect us even through that. Where was Paul supposed to go? What was the divine necessity in chapter 19, verse 11, chapter 23, verse uh, uh, 11, sorry, 19, 21, 23, 11, and 27, 23? What was the divine necessity? Where must he go? One answer, Rome. He went to Jerusalem. And yet, where is he on his way to right now? Rome. 
God protected him, even in Paul's disobedience. But hold up. Wait a minute. There's no guarantee that he's going to continue in that direction in our disobedience. Don't sit there and think, well, good, if I don't want to do something right now, I'll just be disobedient for a little while, and God will get me to do it later. Uh -uh. There is no guarantee. There is no promise. God can discard you as far as it concerns his purpose and plan on earth. God can set you aside and say, you are no longer a part of how I'm using the kingdom, or who I'm using in the kingdom. If you don't believe me, go read the first three chapters of Revelation and see how the lampstands were removed and how the churches were pulling away and they were losing in, the fee, in Ephesus their first love and how God was saying, do not keep going down this path so as to no longer be useful. So don't use your disobedience as an excuse, an opportunity to, I want to do what I want to for a little while, then God will use me, because there's no promise of that, no guarantee. So in pursuit of the big and the little things, we're going to experience hardship. In the pursuit of these big and little things, we will be disobedient. We may be disobedient. But in pursuit of all of these things and in pursuit of the big and the little things, we will never be left alone. God will preserve us for our calling. Our fulfillment of our calling is guaranteed as we are obedient to the calling. What has God called you to do? It is guaranteed you will fulfill that so long as you are obedient to the call. That's it. I, I, I cannot put it any more plainly that if he has called you to do X, if you are obedient to him in how he wants you to reach X, you will always, every time, without fail, reach X. Now, you best be clear on what X is, because sometimes what we want to say is, well, I, God, you called me to do this, and, and, and I, I, I thought that's where we were going, and we didn't get there. And he says, well, that's because I didn't call you to that. You know, I've told you before, my call to the ministry. I heard call to the ministry. I determined in my spirit I was going to be a music minister. And, and, and over the course of five years, God redirected me. And on all that time I had in mind, I was what X was. And finally God got my attention and said, you didn't listen to the rest of the call, buddy. You, 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 you heard part of it. Well, I'm male, right? I heard the part I wanted to hear. And I kind of rejected the part I didn't want to hear. And like any good person in a man's life, they keep talking until you hear what you're supposed to hear. And then my fulfillment of my calling was guaranteed. I was going to be a preacher. I was going to be a pastor someday. But y'all have heard my testimony. You know we put that off another seven years too. By de being disobedient. It's a wonder I'm here at all. I look back and think, Lord, why didn't you throw me away that time? Or that time? Or these other times I haven't told y'all about? 
because obedience is blessed with protection. Number two, point number two, obedience is blessed with ability. Verses 7 through 10. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who, who welcomed us, probably Luke and Paul, maybe just the Christians, probably the ship owner and the centurion and a couple others, the uh, high officials of the boat, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days, probably a very welcome respite after so many days on the open sea. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying, uh, and praying and laying hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed, so they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. When Paul was once again obedient, we see from this part of Scripture We see that his testimony was now powerful, he had a good reputation, he performed miracles, and we can assume he was back on an evangelistic track. The first thing we see is in verse 6. We see that Paul had a testimony of protection. We talked about in verse 6 how their initial thought was that the snake bite was judgment. They were skeptical of Paul. They doubted Paul. This ain't nobody. Actually, it probably is somebody, but it's not somebody we want to hang around with. And then they went from there to, never mind, this dude's God. This is somebody we want to hang around with. We want to be with him as much as we can. Now, in the past, Paul has been compared to a God before when he's gone into different towns and healed people. So this is nothing new for him. And each time he has told the people, ooh, may it never be. Don't say that about me. I ain't no God, but let me tell you about the God I serve. Every time. Luke did not record such an answer this time. But in this case, given what's going on and given how Paul has responded to God in the previous verses, I believe we can be certain of the fact that he did not allow that to stand. And later on, he's going to show that, going to prove that he's not a God, because when he is doing these healings, particularly of Publius' father, it says, praying and laying his hands on him. So everybody there knew this guy is not getting power from himself. He's getting it from somewhere else. So he lived the example, and he would have spoken the example that he had a testimony of protection. This snake bit me, yeah, right here on the hand. It didn't kill me, though, but it's not because I'm a god, but because of the God I serve. Can you, can you imagine that testimony to this very pagan island? Probably no Jews. We don't hear about any Jews. Uh, certainly uh, pagan Romans, but probably the, the, the original inhabitants of this uh, island go back to the Phoenicians that originally, that had probably been there at this point, oh, thousand years or more. It's a very old society, very pagan society. And he gets to tell them, you think I'm impressive because I did this? I didn't do this. The God I served did this. He had a testimony of protection now in verse 6. He had a relationship due to reputation in verse 7. He gets invited to to Publius' house. They spend three days there. And, and, and enjoy this man's hospitality. He would have been possibly the leading Roman figure on the island. Maybe the governor of the island. He would have been up there. 
And we find throughout Paul's history that when he's obedient to his ministry to the Gentiles, Gentiles welcome him. Now, not 100% of the time, uh, he talks about, remember in Corinthians, he, dangers from Gentiles. He, he faced those dangers, and he will again. But for the most part, his track record with Gentiles, that, uh, with unbelieving Gentiles, is much, 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 much better than his track record with unbelieving Jews. They go after him. The, the Gentiles tend to welcome him. Think back to Ephesus. And how, he, uh, how they were burning their, their magic books and just were amazed that he could do these things. First, we want that power, right? We want the godlike power you have. And he says, you can't have this. This comes from the Lord. This isn't me. And they see people come to him. This is what we see here, this relationship due to his reputation. The only good relationships he ever had in Jerusalem, the three years in his, he spent in Jerusalem, the best relationships he had were with the Romans, not with the Jews. The Gentiles were the ones that he befriended. Claudius was the one who stuck up, stuck up for him. Even Agrippa, and, and, uh, who was Jewish, I don't mean Jewish, I mean Jewish, uh, Agrippa and, and Felix and Festus, you know, for two years he sat down and talked to uh, uh, Festus and he had a great relationship with Gentiles. I've heard pastors say, I've heard believers say, I have a better relationship with unbelievers who don't attend my church than believers who do. While that is a sad indictment of our churches, that is also a statement of hope to the relationship that we can have outside of the church if we are willing to, a relationship due to reputation. The, the third thing we see here in uh, the blessing of ability in, in obedience is that he had a ministry of healing. Verses 7 through 9 tells us about it. He heals uh, Publius's father who uh, had uh, dysentery and uh, uh, a fever. And then he goes on and heals many, many people on the island. Let's count all the healings since Ephesus. Since the whole magic book thing in Ephesus, since the riot, let's count all the healings, all the miracles that Paul has performed since then in three years, all of them. Ready, set, go. We're done. None. Zero. No miracles. No show of God's power until the ship, until the people are preserved on the shipwreck. But until then, nothing we, we get some hint of God's power when the prophets keep telling him, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. But as far as Paul is concerned and his relationship to the Lord and his usefulness to God, nothing since he determined in his spirit to go to Jerusalem and put off Rome. Since he was disobedient, not one miraculous act. This is the guy who was wiping the sweat of his brow with a handkerchief and people were taking that and running over here to this sick person and saying here touch this you'll be healed i mean we're not talking about the typical miracles of acts the typical miracles of the new testament putting a hand on them saying you're healed your faith has made you whole and whatever they go we're talking about the the wild ones that the the guys on tv gonna sell you jim baker's gonna sell you something about coronavirus gonna keep you healed just because he has it in the bottle don't buy it by the way, not true. 
Jim Baker's never been true, so st- just please don't. But, but for Paul, it worked. That's those kinds of miracles, and now he has done nothing for three years. But when he is obedient, he has a ministry of healing. And then verse 10, Paul had a productive layover. We're going to call those three months layover. Uh, So they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. It's clear that Paul had a fruitful ministry in Malta. We, we, We don't... We aren't told that he witnessed to anybody, but we we know that he had no spiritual impact in Jerusalem. The only group that came to see him out of Jerusalem was the group that wanted to kill him. Uh, So it wasn't much uh, 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 many accolades and, yay, Paul. Um, uh, we, We have a fruitless visit in Jerusalem when it comes to evangelism. He sat and talked to Festus for a while. Agrippa says, are you think you're going to convert me so quickly? But we have no uh, evidence of anything, anything fruitful, anything good happening. As a matter of fact, everything bad happens. And the very reason for his travels are to witness to Gentiles, to heal them, and to heal them in order to share the gospel with them. In Jerusalem, we have no recorded sermons or conversions. We, we, we don't even have a recorded sermon or conversion here in verses 1 through 10. But remember, Luke is taking this three-month uh, 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 event and squeezing it down into these 10 verses, just giving us the basics. What we do know from Acts, though, is that never in Acts are miracles an end unto themselves. They never use a miracle in Acts to go, whoop, you're healed. See ya. No, there, there's always uh, the, the miracles in Acts are always a means to evangelism. They are in service to the word. They provide occasion and opportunity for sharing the gospel. So we know from Paul's history that in this situation, given uh, his three months there and giving the, given the people's response to them, that it is, I'm going to say, 99.9% likely that these miracles led to a church being formed, led to evangelism and a gospel presentation. And then we see that, I believe, in verse 10, because the response of the, the Maltese people to Paul's leaving mirrors many of those departures from, uh, communities, uh, from other communities of believers who wept when he was leaving and held him and hugged him and uh, uh, loved on him and sent him away with gifts. And that's what we see here in Malta. We see Paul having the blessing of ability because he is obedient. Church, you're going to ask, what should I do? This is the takeaway. But more than just the takeaway, this is, what should I do? What should you do? Well, first of all, be obedient. Be obedient like Paul. Be obedient the first time. Be obedient in, in chapter 19, verse 21. Don't, don't determine in your spirit to do something. Only do what by divine necessity you are told to do. Be obedient. And then if you aren't obedient, then the next opportunity you get, be obedient. So what should you do? Be obedient. Whatever God is calling you to do. Is it to minister? Is it to go on the mission field? Is it to teach? Is it to be in some sort of leadership position? Is it to love? Is it to be patient? Is it to be kind? Is it to be faithful? Is it to be gentle? Do it. 
and expect that if you are obedient to that, that God will sustain you through completion of that, whatever it is. Is he calling you to a remote village in Eastern Asia? He will be faithful to complete that in you. If he is calling you to just love the person that you find unlovable, he will be faithful to complete that in you. The guarantee that we have is that God will be faithful to complete everything he has begun in us. Now that verse is talking about our salvation in particular. But y'all, if we can trust God with our eternity when it comes to heaven and hell, why can we not trust God with our tomorrow when it comes to talking, serving, ministering, loving, or sharing the gospel? Why can't we? Well, because we're dumb sheep. That's a different sermon that I've already preached. We, we, we struggle because we don't see the end. And we struggle to be obedient. But expect, thank you Paul, in this case for being disobedient so we can see it. I would have preferred you have been obedient. But thank you for showing us disobedience so that we can see a picture and proof that God will sustain us through to completion. And secondly, expect that God will empower you for the call. What are you called to do that you can't? Trick question, nothing. Nothing. There is nothing you are called to do by God that you can't do. Nothing. Because he will empower you to do it. You know, you... you, you uh, we, we get a, a description. Somebody asks uh, how football players respond to a particular coach, and they'll say, "Oh, oh, that that, that player, he he that he loves his coach so much, he'll he'll run through a brick wall if he tells him to." Well, he's not going to make it. Sorry, not just not going to make it. But you know what? If God tells me to run through a brick wall, if God tells you to run through a brick wall. If God tells you, if Jesus tells you, we're going to the other side of the sea, we're going to the other side of the lake, if God tells uh, Paul, you're going to Rome, if God tells you what is going to happen, that thing is going to happen. And we will be empowered. We will be able to fulfill that call. Be obedient Expect that God will sustain you through completion and expect that God will empower you for that call. Sounds easy. It's not. But if you're looking for an easy faith, Christianity ain't it. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, now you're thinking, but it ain't easy. You're right. But I'm going to experience hardship. Up front, we want to let you know. Yeah, you are. The world will reject you. Your family will reject you. Saddest thing among all the rejection, some church people will reject you. But you know what? It's worth it. Following Jesus is worth every hardship. And you need to be obedient, unbeliever. You need to be obedient to the drawing of the Holy Spirit that started at the beginning of this message. 
when I prayed. And I said, Lord, let them, let them know the drawing of your spirit now. Well, that was 40 minutes ago. Will you respond to the drawing of that Holy Spirit? Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Well, God designed a perfect world. God designed things, set it up the way it should be, and then we, Adam and Eve, but we through Adam and Eve, and we do it regularly and daily ourselves, we mess up God's design by sinning, by doing things against what he wanted. And that inevitably and always leads to brokenness. It leads to hardship. It leads to pain. It leads to suffering. And that brokenness is something we cannot fix, no matter how hard we try. And you will try, and you have tried, and you struggled, and you just wonder why things don't look better. And now you're looking at Paul, and you're listening to this message, and you're thinking, wow, things don't get better if I trust Jesus. No, that's not the image you need to get. They do. I, I, I never wanted to not be married. Okay? I, I, I knew from the time I was 10, 11 years old, I wanted to be married because I wanted a partner for life. I, that, that's just, that's all I wanted. I, I, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature, so I didn't, I don't have to have a lot of people, but I knew there was one I wanted, and I got her, and, and so I'm done. I'm good. That, that, that's, that's all I need, but I also knew that I, uh, Totally forgot where that illustration was going. It was brilliant right here. I just got thinking about how much I love my wife and forgot why I was saying it. I hate it when that happens. Well, anyway. So, the brokenness that you're going to try to fix cannot be fixed by any plan of your own. It is only through the gospel that you can fix that brokenness. And to respond to the gospel, you repent and believe. You trust Jesus Christ. And as you believe, once you believe, then you can recover and pursue God's design. You get to be obedient in big things. As hard as it might be, as difficult as it might be, my point was I never wanted to walk through anything in my life without. Everything would, was better in life because I have my wife with me. I didn't want to walk through those things alone. See, I remembered. I didn't want to walk through those things alone. It's always better. Now, multiply that by a kajillion, and that's what walking through the hardships of life is like with God. The brokenness, I don't enjoy brokenness on my own. I don't enjoy brokenness with her, but when we share it, it's a burden shared. When I walk through brokenness with God, it's not even just a burden shared. He takes it. See, it was a good point. I just forgot. And the gospel gets us to that. And as we recover and pursue God's design, then we see him take that burden. We go through it. The storm comes, the ship wrecks, but we go through the storm and the shipwreck with God, and I would rather do it with God than without. It is worth it, unbeliever. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, it is worth it. All the hardship, all the persecution, it's worth it today. I ain't even talking about the eternity that we're going to have. I'm talking about the right now 
getting through life, overcoming the brokenness, it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray for obedience. I pray for obedience among our believers, our church members, those who are seeking to follow you, but maybe have put aside some things, uh, those who are praying about what's next, what do I do now, what is the, the next step, God, are you really calling me to this, I can't answer yes or no on those things, but Lord, I know that you can, and I know that you will protect them through completion of their calling, and you will provide all the ability they need for the calling. And there's someone here who is struggling with salvation, somebody listening, who says, I, I want that, but is it worth it? I mean, that sounds hard. <laughs> well, it's because it is. But yes, it's worth it. And Lord, I pray that you would work on their hearts to show them that you will protect them, provide for them through the fulfillment of their calling, and that you will provide all the ability they need to fulfill that calling. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your work in our hearts and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do you need to do this morning? Maybe you need to accept Christ, be baptized. We're not going to do that this morning, but you need to come and say, hey, I need to follow in baptism. You need to redirect your life. The, the prayer rails are going to be open. I encourage you to come and pray for our church. We are coming to a crossroads. There, we, there are things that must be done, and we need your prayers. Uh, you need to pray for yourselves. Uh, we are seeking God, and, and, and we need you to seek him with us. Maybe you need to be used according to his purpose somehow. Join our church. Share whatever is going on in your life on a connection card or online if you're watching there. But let's take a couple of minutes, and not even the whole song, Mindy, but a couple of minutes to pray. Come to the altar, pray, and then we will sing as uh, Mindy leads out. So stand with me. Change position, pray. Do business with God this morning.